Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. We're in the second week of our new series, Entitlement. And I don't know a better place to start with this one, but to share with you that I absolutely love the TV show King of Queens. <laughs> now, this show debuted uh, 25 years ago, launching the career of Kevin James as a blue-collar delivery driver whose name is Doug Heffernan. And so now, thanks to the magic of streaming, I get to catch that any time that we can kind of see it come on. And recently, I saw this episode where Doug goes off the rails entirely at his best friend, Deacon, when he learns that Deacon's new racquetball partner is somebody that started a rumor about Doug in seventh grade that he licked a trash can. <laughs> and for the rest of the episode, Doug forbids Deacon from having any contact with who he calls his mortal enemy. When Deacon tells him that he's overreacting, Doug informs Deacon they can't be friends anymore. He even convinces his wife, Carrie, to join him in boycotting Deacon's son's birthday party, though they're his godparents. <laughs> and all of it in the show is played for laughs, and it's intended to be absurdist. But i got to tell you, as I watched this gym from 25 years ago in 2022, it all made me a little sad. Because it was all too close to home of what I'm watching go on all around me today. A, a, a joke without a punchline. There's a new phrase that's come up in our culture called cancel culture. And cancel culture is defined this way. It is the practice and phenomenon of publicly rejecting, boycotting, or ending support for particular people or groups as a way of expressing disapproval and applying social pressure upon others to join you. So catch what this is saying. It's a new practice that has become a phenomenon, and what we do is we reject or we boycott particular people or particular groups of people based on their label or their stance, not only to show our disapproval, but to apply social pressure on others to join us. Now, cancel culture has also been called call-out culture. And what it means is, I'm going to call you out on the carpet as the judge and as the jury. I'm going to call you out to execute your sentence. I want you to understand there's a huge difference between cancel culture or call-out culture and simply the consequences for your actions or accountability, which I hope all of us today would say is appropriate. Now, in this, what you look at 
is we're canceling somebody as a scarlet letter to mark the totality of their identity as a social leper. When we cancel somebody, we're stiff-arming them to the other side of the street, and we're the ones shouting everywhere to everybody who can see them, they're unclean, they're unclean, they're unclean, and there's no foreseeable path for their restoration or their reconciliation. You'll know you're standing in the midst of cancel culture because cancel culture is marked by three very key distinguishing marks. First is this, cancel culture is highly emotional. It's not intellectual, an unbiased delivering of the facts. No, you'll know you're standing in cancel culture because it's passionate and it's urgent and it runs to you to share its opinion very loudly to anybody who would listen, but that alone is not enough. When it's cancel culture, it also demands to know where you stand too. And in that moment, if you hesitate or provide deeper context or heaven bid disagree, you're likely to be its next victim. Second distinguishing mark of cancel culture, cancel culture acts as an epidemic. It is fast spreading and highly contagious. Cancel culture is like a Category 5 hurricane that only gains steam as it hits new real estate. And it moves quickly from one place to the next to the next. And just as soon as it devastates, it's on its way to the next viral story. And you know it's taken place because at that point they stopped talking about you, but now they no longer want to talk to you. Third mark of cancel culture, it is almost always uneducated. View everyone with suspicion. I assume motives and I jump quickly to a defensive life with a silent narrative that everyone is against me or everyone will soon abandon me. I'm alone. With entitlement, I don't live under rejection. No, I actually begin to reject. I call out, I air my grievances about and often without ever coming to you. I'm going to air my grievances about you, but often I'm never going to come to you to tell you that. And where shame is quick to go to the defensive, entitlement is quick to go to the offensive, to recruit people to my cause, to demand that they pay attention to my perception of your words and your actions. But I want you to get this. Either way we go, it's two sides of the same coin. Either way, in shame or entitlement, we end up canceling people and groups from the storyline of our lives. For those under shame, we're rejected, and we do so out of self-preservation. For those who are walking under entitlement, we do it out of self-righteous vengeance, but both of them are us playing God instead of trusting God to order our lives. Cancel culture as we see it is the devil's game. There are three words in the Bible used to, to signify and identify the devil. And it says this, it's the accuser, the devil, and Satan. And I want you to see these quickly, these three definitions in the Bible. The word accuser in the Bible, it literally in Greek is kategoreo, the categorizer, the labeler. It means to reduce someone's worth by defining them according to boxes and categories. I remove your face and I assign you to a stance. The word devil, diabolos, 
means prone to slander, one who accuses falsely, or one who spreads lies to damage someone else's reputation. And then finally, the word Satan, Satanas, means accuser, one who desires to lock you in to a conflict or a dispute. I need you to understand something this morning. When you see these three words, accuser, devil, Satan, this is more than a dude with red horns and a pitchfork that we can blame all of our problems on. When we look at the demonic, it is a system of thought that is rooted in pride where he uses shame and entitlement to make our whole world about us so that we would release brokenness upon the world instead of healing. He loves to get people to remove faces and reduce others to stances where we can reject them. And I want to let you know, that we are either playing the game this morning or we are joining Jesus and tearing the system down. There is no middle ground. We're either playing the game of cancel culture or we're joining Jesus and tearing it down. This game, it happens with the right and the left sides of the aisle, conservative and liberal. I want to let you know, depending on your age, that this game is not something new. I hear some people talk to me and they say, well, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. We're going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm like, why does the devil have a handbasket in the first place? I don't quite understand that. But I want to tell you two reasons I believe that is just not true. If you have developed a view that the world is getting worse and worse and worse, and we're just waiting for a heavenly Uber to fly us out of this place, there are two reasons that is not biblically true. Here's the first one. My Jesus already rode into town on a donkey declaring a new era where he is making everything new. And he called me today to pray not save us from hell one day, but your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven today. The second is that the effect of sin on the human heart is the same today as when we fell. The depth of our brokenness and our need to be restored hasn't changed. Please hear me. The transmission of information has changed, not the condition of the human heart. The transmission of information has changed. Now news spreads quicker. It goes global. It's not just a bully on a schoolyard. It's all around the world instantaneously, and it fills the screens that we can't seem to look away from. But we've been canceling people since Cain and Abel. Cancel culture is nothing new. So I just want to say this in love this morning. If you are ready to blame a current political party or a current political leader, or a news channel, or a trending stance on a moral issue for the mess we're in, watch out, you're already playing the game. The game is going on all around us. See, we cancel celebrities. Last year, J.K. Rowling, the author, found herself in hot water when a series of viral TikTok videos called for the burning of all Harry Potter books because of one quote she said in part of a conversation about her personal opinion about transgender rights that differed from what the masses wanted to hear. So we're going to burn all of her books. Harry can no longer exist because we don't agree with something J.K. said on Tuesday afternoon. NFL star, it's good. We'll talk later, Kit. Uh, NFL star, Colin Kaepernick, silently knelt during the national anthem 
and it sparked an instant and national outrage and overnight shunning. That even later, when many people from both sides of the aisles embraced the point he was trying to make, they kept him on the outside. One website out today lists 75 celebrities that have been publicly canceled in the last few years for something they said or did or didn't say or do when the masses demanded they take a side on an issue. It's insane. We don't stop there, though. We cancel companies. News story came out and said, the company MyPillow got dropped overnight by 20 retailers. I got a MyPillow fan out there. He's like, those are awesome. <laughs> dropped overnight by 20 retailers when the president of the company on his personal time said that he was questioning the two, uh, 2020 election results. Hasbro found themselves in hot water when they rebranded their toy line Potato Head instead of Mr. Potato Head. It led to an outreach for, uh, outrage for some calling for a boycott, shaming Hasbro for their political stance on the gender of a potato. <laughs> Later that afternoon, Hasbro officials had to rush online and give a clarifying response that they still have an offer, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. They were simply expanding their line of toys, and they wanted to uh, show basically what they were doing. They weren't trying to weigh in on a cultural war. Companies like Netflix, Disney, Facebook, Target, Chick-fil-A, Goya Beans, listen, recently even Oreo cookies. What kind of world are we living in when pillows and Oreo cookies have become so controversial we must attack and silence them? Now that's just a handful. But even in a room like this or somebody hearing my voice and the examples I just shared, some of you might be thinking, but you know what? I don't agree with that celebrity. I don't agree with what they did. I don't agree with that company. I don't like that stance. And that's exactly my point. See, I don't agree with all of those people or all of their stances. And often I'm too uneducated to even really know because I've never met them and I've never sat before them. But we've moved as a culture beyond our ability to hold disagreement that retains honor and leads us to constructive dialogue that makes us all stronger, and we've replaced it with demands for instant conformity or else. That is a demonic assignment rooted in pride. And just as the devil roams to and fro looking for someone to devour, so does cancel culture. Watch it as it moves. I heard somebody recently say, offense is a demon. I can prove it. It moves. It moves from this political candidate to that one, this party to that party. We had it all about Trump and then all about Biden and then all about Black Lives Matter and then all about vaccinations. And I'm telling you, in a few months, it's going to be something else. It's the emotional, epidemic, uneducated canceling of people made in the image of God that we're supposed to be contending for. But praise God. Somebody say praise God. Praise there God. is hope. We don't have to ride that carousel. There are three restorative actions I want to share this morning for the children of God in an age of cancel culture. The first is this. We've got to be people who choose to reject Rejection. Reject rejection. What am I saying? That we as people, this first one I'm going to talk about is going to be all about you. Say me. me. This is all about me right now. We've got to refuse to derive or demand our worth from insufficient sources. Here's a newsflash. Your job 
and your friend and your salary and your house and your social standing or your current health condition or your spouse or your children cannot make your God-given identity or value, and they can't take it either. So it's time to stop letting them shake it. Your friends, your job, your spouse, your standing, what everybody else is saying cannot make your God-given, God-breathed identity, and it can't take it, so it's time that we stop allowing it to shake it. What do I mean? We've got to stop getting offended when everybody else doesn't get us or see us or like us or celebrate us. Jesus said this, in the world you will have much trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Where are your eyes? Are your eyes on the world and what everybody else is doing? They're the problem when we cancel them and it gets better? Or are your eyes on the cross, the creator that made you, who said, yeah, it's going to be trouble, but I'm more than enough. Jesus went further than that. He said, the same way they treated me, they're going to treat you. I don't know if we need a history refresher, but his story ended in him getting crucified. And as you choose to look like Jesus today, there are going to be some people on the planet because you make them insecure that want to emotionally crucify you. In fact, it's often religious people that are the ones holding the nails. People have asked in my life, where have you had the hardest time? I haven't had a hard time with people who say, I don't love Jesus, I don't follow Jesus, and they act like people that don't follow Jesus. I'm like, oh, no, that's two plus two equals four. That's kind of what I'd expect. I have a hard time with people who raise their hands on Sunday morning and then raise their fists toward other people throughout the week. And I have a really hard time when I look in the mirror and see that sometimes that person is me. Following Jesus is a call to lay down our rights. Listen, I am proud to be an American. I'm so proud to be in our country. I'm so proud for the men and women that have fought for our freedom. I'm so proud. Are you proud? I really am. But there's a huge difference between patriotism and nationalism. America is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is. That's not even in my message. It's just true. And the reason I have to say this is this. We have turned an idolatry into our rights. I got my rights. You offended my rights. You messed with my rights. Then get off the throne. Because the call to follow Jesus is the call to die to your rights. You don't have rights anymore. The right that you have is, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But now he lives in me. To, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Wherever I'm going to go on earth, I just want to be with him. And if I have him, I already have the treasure. I'm already more than enough. You don't need to understand me. You don't need to celebrate me. You don't need to get me. You don't need to put up a banner and a happy Chuck parade day. I don't need any of it. <laughs> because I found him. Following Jesus is a call to lay down our rights to our lives and our reputation and gaining him, gaining his adoration, gaining his peace, gaining his gaze, gaining his fullness, which, by the way, whether you know it or not, you already have. It's ridiculous to say you're going to pray this prayer and all of a sudden Jesus is like, oh, now I love you. No, he's loved you since the very beginning. It's our backs that have been turned from him that are turning to recognize that he's always adored us. We trade our rights for his grace. And I got to tell you, it's a good trade. We find the security and peace in the secret place alone. So right now, I just want you to put your hand on your heart. Say this with me. Say, I am not rejected. Oh, somebody say it again. I am not rejected. Say, I don't care if you reject me. Because you can't. Because I'm not rejected. 
I am beloved. Nobody has the right to take it. So I no longer give the right to shake it. Oh, somebody, come on, that's good. Next time somebody comes to offend you, you need to stop right. Don't do it to them. That's just offensive. <laughs> don't look at that cashier and be like, I am not rejected. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Go to your car first. <laughs> Jesus, that person just broke my heart, but I am not rejected. I am beloved. They don't have the right to take that from me, and so I'm no longer going to let them shake it. I bless them in the name of the Lord. We've got to get over this rejection epidemic where everybody is a victim. By the way, I want to say this. We've all had really terrible things happen. I've met and counseled people that have had some of the most atrocious things happen in the world, but when everybody's walking around and everything were a victim, you're actually doing an injustice to the people that have actually been victims of some pretty atrocious things. We got to stop the victim culture. We're victorious. We're more than victorious in Jesus Christ. And if you've been at a place where you've been a victim, you can come to the cross and he's more than sufficient and you walk with a family that's going to show you freedom in Jesus' name. We've got to reject rejection. The second is this. We've got to cancel canceling. You see what I'm doing there? Isn't that great? We've got to cancel canceling. What do I mean? I mean, we've got to stop any. Somebody say any. We've got to stop any involvement in passive aggressive crusades to call out people and groups. We've got to stop any involvement in a passive aggressive crusade to I'm going to call out that person, I'm going to call out that group, I'm going to rally people to my cause. Our only cause is Christ. What does this include? It includes saying no to every passing piece of gossip that wants to be the center of your day's conversation. Whenever you hear somebody come in and they're calling for an emotional epidemic response, ask the question, how would I feel if that were my kid? Because it is his. That thing right now, they want me to get outraged. They want me to get offended. They want me to get mad. They want me to weigh in my opinion. I think that's wrong too. I think we should tweet about that. <laughs> me and my 12 followers, we're going to change the world. We're taking it down. Instead, ask the question, how would I feel if that was my kid? Because it is his kid. Proverbs 18.8 says this. It says, rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Our sin is killing us. It's poisoning us. Praise God, there's a counter response. Philippians 4.8, it says this. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. I want to ask a question to the church with the big C, and I know that I am just preaching to the most glorious choir in the, in the world this morning. I want to ask this question. What could happen if we replaced calling out people for their indecencies with calling them up to their identity and their father? What could happen if we used our voice to say, no more, you're never going to hear out of my mouth again me calling out somebody else for their indecencies? Because the minute I've done that, I've forgotten grace, haven't I? And instead, when you say, they've done this, they've done this, they've done this, you stop and you go, oh my gosh, you know what, that is really messed up because that's not who God created them to be. And in this gap, that's where we come as intercessors right now. The third is this. We've got to reject rejection. We've got to cancel, cancel culture. The third is we've got to trade taking offense with playing on offense. We've got to trade taking offense with playing on offense. It is time that we stop taking offense. Can I get an amen? Because here's the crazy thing about offense. It doesn't happen to you. You have to take it. 
See, 100% of the time, you getting offended is your choice. It is your choice to see something. And by the way, it's something that is usually genuinely offensive. But then you see it and you choose to fight the wrong enemy and demand justice on the wrong terms. I want to say something to you right now. Maybe right now you're just having a hard relationship with somebody. Maybe somebody is just making your life hell on earth right now. I want to tell you this. That person who is hurting you isn't winning. That person who is hurting you, they aren't happy. They're not killing it. Their sin is killing them. And when you choose to carry an offense against a broken person, you are empowering the wrong source and you are arming yourself with the weapons of the wrong kingdom. But there's an alternative to taking offense, dear child of God. It's playing on offense. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to tell you something. Gates don't move. People do. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that he's calling his church to move out to the camp of every place hell has set itself up on earth. And once we arrive, they can't stay there anymore. He says, somebody's got to get that this morning. Listen. (laughs) Jesus is saying, I'm building a church that the gates of hell can't stand against. Gates don't move. If they do, you're on a sinkhole. That's a problem. Gates are stationary. They're fixed. Jesus said, I'm calling the church out of their building, out of their safe places, to go to every place where it is hell on earth. I'm calling you to set up your camp right against them, and I'm telling you something, that when you do, they can't stay. It it literally means they melt away. Sometimes I get so excited, I just choke myself up here. (laughs) When you arrive, the gates of hell melt away. That's how the kingdom of God advances across the earth. So don't tell me we're going to hell in a handbasket. We're advancing. What does it mean? It means that we're playing on offense. For too long, the church has been playing as if we're on defense. We're defensive about everything. They took this from us, and they took that from us, and they took this, and it's always a they. They, those liberals. They, that LGBTQ community. They, 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 they. We've got a label for everybody, and I want to tell you, you're on the wrong side of the ball, church. You've got the ball. You're on offense, not on defense. You're on offense, so you don't have to get offended. But we have to know this. Satan doesn't cast out Satan. We don't establish heaven by treating people like hell. And we will never advocate for people's transformation while we are accusing them. Satan doesn't cast out Satan. We don't establish heaven by treating people like hell. And we will never advocate for people's transformation while we are accusing them. The Apostle Paul put it this way, to talk about how do we play on offense. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want to unpack this for just a minute. As we finish this morning, first he says this, we don't fight the same way as the rest of the world. Ephesians chapter six says that we have no enemy of flesh and blood. Please hear me. People are never your enemy as a dearly beloved child of God. 
People are never your enemy. We don't fight the same way the world fights. The second, he says, we don't use the enemy's weapons. What are they? We talked about them in the beginning today. Devil, accuser, right? It, it is accusation and gossip and rumors. Second Timothy chapter 2, it's foolish and stupid arguments that divide people. We don't use those. We demolish them. How? I want you to get this. Because at that point, you're like, okay, we're in a war. We're going to go. So there's got to be a bad guy, and we're going to get him. And we get weapons. What's your weapon? Align every thought of yours with what heaven is saying. Don't miss it. That's your weapon. Like, okay, we're going to go. People are broken. That person did something to offend me. I'm ready to get them. What do I do now? What's my weapon? He said it's not accusing. It's not putting them on the outside. It's aligned your every thought with heaven. We take every thought going on here and every emotion going on here and we make it captive. We literally make it align with the king of heaven. I got a news flash for you. The father isn't calling out his kids. He's calling them home. First Timothy 2.4 says the father desires all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hear me. The father is not calling out any of his kids. So when we go around looking at other groups of people as other, you're literally trying to make step families under creation, and God's not okay with it. He doesn't want a broken or divided family. So how do we play on offense? Luke chapter 6 says this. It says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want to get really practical for a minute. Does anybody have unpleasant people in your life? I don't know. Am I the only one? Sometimes you meet unpleasant people. Anybody ever find something offensive where you could get worked up? Have you ever had anything you'd like to cancel? Okay, awesome. So the next time you see someone releasing brokenness, I want you to go back to Luke chapter 6. Out of the overflow of the heart, out of what's in the heart that is overflowing, it's overflowing and that's what's causing the mouth to speak. The next time you see someone releasing brokenness, stop, child of God, and understand it's from the overflow of their own brokenness they are speaking. They are broken and you bear the restorer. The next time you see somebody do something, you say, that's just sick. Understand that you're seeing that their heart is diseased and you carry the healer. When you see people picking fights everywhere, you find those people, they're just miserable. They just look for things to be offended about and people to be offended about. You need to understand when you see that instead of joining the game, there is a war raging for their heart and you are a peacemaker. And when you see that addict that everyone else calls hopeless, you remember that you're filled with the God of all hope and he's still working miracles. How do we play on offense? It's this simple. We elevate his name above every other name in every room we enter. And we remember that we're not on a mission of retribution. We're on a mission of restoration to everyone everywhere. We're on offense. What are our weapons? They're a surgeon's scalpel to join the great physician to perform an open heart bypass that somebody can get a new heart and become a new creation. How do we do it? Real practical. I want to tell you just as we end here, just three very quick practical motions, and then we're going to pray and we're going to make it real. Number one, we've got to forgive everyone. Two, listen on their behalf. Three, bless them. One, we've got to forgive everyone. Jesus was once asked, how many times do I forgive my brother? And Jesus responded, 70 times seven. Seven in Jewish thought is the number of completeness. So what is he saying? He's saying you need to forgive to complete completeness. I just ask you this question. Hand on your heart for just a second. 
How much has God forgiven you? How much is he forgiving today? How much is his kindness leading you to repentance? And I want to tell you something so that you don't drop your head. He delights to do it. It's time to be like our father. Are you put your hand down? I'm going to make you do that about another 10 times probably. We're just going to make it real. Forgiveness is not a feeling. If you're walking in the place, man, I want to forgive. Forgiveness is simply releasing a debt from your hands, saying, God, my hands are inadequate to judge, to God's hands. It's coming to God and saying this. It's saying, God, here's what they've stolen from me. Here's what they've offended. And sometimes, by the way, when you say, well, that's not it. I just have a problem with. No, you're offended on somebody else's behalf. That's what that is, and you need to forgive. Anytime your emotions are getting, you're getting into that epidemic, you're getting into that canceling thing, you're offended. You need to forgive. You're either, you're either offended personally because it happened to you or you're offended on somebody else's behalf, which, by the way, that's usually the harder one. What you do is you say this, God, you saw it. You saw it was stolen. You saw it was taken. And so now I come to you, God. I choose to give this to you. I ask right now, if somebody you're struggling, you need to do this right now. I ask you right now, this is what they stole from me. I'm asking you to return what they've stolen because my God shall supply all my needs. I'm sorry for expecting them to supply that in my life, and I am no longer going to hold them accountable for that. I'm releasing them, and you saw it. And whatever needs to be done, you do it. i got to tell you, forgiveness is one of the hardest things in the world to do. In my life, when I've had the hardest cases of forgiveness, I've always needed somebody to help me. That's why we wrote a restoration manual together as a church. And in just a minute, we're going to have some ministers up here to help you walk through that first step of forgiveness, if you're ready. We've got to forgive everyone. But now I want to get real. Because if I come up here and I just sound off like, we shouldn't cancel, we shouldn't cancel, we shouldn't cancel, then I'm just another clanging gong sounding. I want to equip us. Say, okay, there's, there's somebody I want to cancel. we got to forgive them first. Then what? We can't stop there. Well, I forgive them. I just don't want to think about them anymore. Then you're still canceling them from your story. Here's what we have to do. We have to listen on their behalf. When you want to rush to judgment, do what Julie started us with this morning. You stop and you breathe and you ask this question, Father, I know what the rest of the world is saying about them. I know what my emotions are saying about them. My question to this, Father, what do you say about them? And you stop and you listen. I want to tell you, I believe there's often a lack of power in the church because we're the ones doing all the talking. We've got to be at the place where we refuse to react with our own opinions. In the Gospel of John, five times Jesus said, I only speak what the Father has spoken to me. And in John 14, Jesus says this, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Anybody ever read that? I'm like, what? I will do whatever you ask in my name. This is what he's saying. When your prayers align with the dignity of my name, and when you are saying what I am saying, which is what only my Father is saying, then I promise I will use you as a conduit on earth to release heaven. When you say what I'm saying, because you stop not to react, but you got on your knees to get heaven's response. When you repeat what the Father says in faith 100% of the time, you can know I will do it. The final thing is when you get to the place that it's time to speak, we've got to bless people. Blessing is the language of heaven. And when we talk about blessing, I'm not talking about well-wishing by just a few like really cheery personalities. That's not what I mean by blessing. No, blessing is when you're saying what the Father is saying and it holds the power to release heaven on earth in someone's life. It holds the power of heaven. The reason, by the way, if you want to know, all the time I say hand on your heart, what I'm asking you for in that moment is your agreement. 
I'm putting you in the driver's seat, no longer listening to me. And you're going, I'm taking that, and I'm taking something that I've heard from heaven. And I'm calling you to say it. And you in your heart are saying, yes, God, I want that to be true. And heaven falls. Isn't it amazing? Haven't you found yourself in a moment like that, in a moment of worship? And you came in church, and you're like, everything was terrible. And what they said, I've heard a thousand times before. But there was this moment that I breathed. I said, God, I give you my burden. God, I'm forgiven. And like a thousand pounds fell off me. What is that? That's the blessing of heaven being released on your life. And it doesn't just come for you. It's supposed to come from us to the entire world. And so I close with this. In an age of cancel culture, there is only one thing that our Father is about canceling. 1 John 3, 8, it says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the enterprise of the devil. The offense factory of pride and rejection and entitlement and shaming and canceling. Jesus tore it down. And if you know him, he's called you as an ambassador today of his kingdom, restoring love to a canceled, cancel culture. The only question for you and I is would we breathe deep, would we lift our head, and would we take up our place? Would you stand with me? And right now I'm just going to ask, if you would close your eyes, and there are just three places I want to challenge us this morning to move. I'm going to call us this morning to get very personal. We've got ministers right up here, up front. For some of you, you're going to need to come to a minister. And by the way, every Sunday when we open up this time of these ministers here, if there's any place where there's a need in your heart, you're saying, I'm sick and I need healing. Something is broken. These ministers are going to be right here. As we take this moment, I'm going to call for us to do three things. I'm going to call for us to reject rejection. I'm going to call for us to cancel canceling. And I'm going to call for us to trade taking offense with playing on offense. So one more time, I'm just going to ask if you lay your hand on your heart. Is there a place in your life where you've been listening to the wrong narrative. You're listening to a voice telling you you're rejected. You're not enough. You find yourself in your life either feeling like you're down in a hole that you keep trying so hard to climb out of or you're up on a ladder and everybody else is praising you but you feel it's all a facade and you're just afraid any day it's going to topple over. Either way this morning, the Father has come to make the ground level. He's come to de demolish and fill in our holes and to knock over our ladders. I'm going to ask this morning if you've been walking under a narrative of rejection, that right now, hand on your heart or coming to one of these ministers, you'd say, Father, I've been listening to the wrong voice. I've empowered the voice of the accuser and I've confused it for you. Maybe you're at the place that's not you and God, but you're at the place that you and other relationships, maybe right now you're really struggling with somebody. You're like, what's well, what my mom says about me or it's what this person says about me. You're trying to live up to somebody else's standard and hand on your heart. You need to say right now, Father, I respect them. Father, I love them, but they didn't make my identity. They can't take it and it's time they stop shaking it. I choose right now as an act of faith to reject rejection. I am beloved, I'm yours. The second, still their hand on your heart. We're gonna cancel canceling. I'm gonna ask you right now to repent for any place you've been complicit 
and gossiping. Any place you've gone around your, your workplace or in your family or on social media and you're just scrolling for the next story, the next story, the next story, and you felt it's harmless. And the father's saying, that's my kid. You hate it when people talk about your kid that way. No longer take part in talking about my kids that way. Right now, as you father, I'm sorry. Unwittingly, I've been a part of the system. I've played the game. I've gotten in the game on the right or the left, the conservative or the liberal. I've chosen my heroes and I've chosen my villains. And I'm coming right now to repent. If you're at a place where you're saying, I've just got a pattern, listen, I feel it in this moment, but I've had a pattern in my life of negativity all the time, I'm gonna ask you to come to one of these ministers. I'm gonna ask you to come out from your seat. If you say, I've just got a pattern of negativity or I find myself just returning constantly to gossip and I've prayed this prayer before and I don't know what to do, let somebody come into agreement with you. The final call I want to give us with our hand on our hearts is it's time to trade taking offense with playing on offense. And I'm going to ask you to search your heart right now. Is there somebody or a group of people that right now it is not well with your soul? You're hurt. You're offended. You feel rejected. And you need the grace to let them go. I'm gonna ask right now from your seat or with one of these ministers that you come and say, I need, I need help forgiving them. And I'm gonna recognize it's not a feeling. This person, Father, they wronged me. Right now, if you have that person in mind, would you tell them, Father, this person wronged me. This is what they did. This is what they said. This is what it cost. I found myself carrying a wound for 20 years from somebody who hurt me that never knew it. And finally, when I came to the Father, I said, I'm so angry and so hurt. I've been competing with everybody else because this is what it cost. This is what I lost. The Father said, would you just forgive them? Would you just admit right now that they can't be your supplier? They can't ever come through and be enough. And, and I saw it all. Would you admit there's a lot more going on that you don't know? And I said, Father, I will. And he said, you come ask me right now to fill that gap. You come ask me to fill that need, and I want to be honest with you. In a field yelling at God, it felt like the most ridiculous thing. I laughed out loud and said, yeah, okay, God. You come do that in my life. But because my heart was agreeing with heaven, though my emotions hadn't caught up, heaven was released that day. Something broke. It was weeks later that my emotions caught up and realized, oh my gosh, I forgave. I let it go, and God moved. I want to beg you this morning, if you're walking around with resentment, if you're walking around with pain, I told you that's the reason we wrote a restoration manual right on our website. But you, like me, might need somebody to walk with you. I'm going to ask you before you leave this place, either in this moment or our ministers are going to stay up here at the end of the service, I'm going to ask that you get one of these people to help you take the first step in the journey. Now the very last thing. God calls us to be people of blessing. So with your hand on your heart, would you just say this? Would you say, Father, I want to hear your voice louder than any other voice. Father, I want to hear what you're saying. Father, I want you to be my news feed. I want to hear your blessing about me and about those I see. I want to hear heaven. Maybe you struggled with the lie, you can't hear God's voice. I want to tell you, he's always speaking. And right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for the grace and the anointing for you to discern and understand his voice. 
with your hand on your heart, dearly loved child of God, I want to tell you, when it is darkest outside is when the light is most evident. I bless you in the name of the Lord, peacemaker, carrier of the healer, ambassador, child of light and hope. I bless you with all of his peace and his grace and his wisdom. In Jesus' name, I bless you with confidence to hear from your father and to know that what you're hearing is true. I bless you to hear heaven and to speak it out on earth. I bless you as instruments of blessing. And I thank God so much for the joy and the opportunity to walk with you. May all heaviness be lifted from you now. May it go. May you receive the grace of a father who canceled everything that wants to cancel.